Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full worth limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science is now teaching us that all life is interconnected and interdependent. And spirituality and ancient wisdom has been teaching the truth of oneness for eons. So science is now just catching up. And when mankind awakens to the universal truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is Afterlife with Dr. Raymond Moody. Dr. Raymond Moody is a best-selling author and the founder of the the Life After Life Institute. Welcome. Dr. Moody is connecting by phone. Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio, Dr. Moody. Thank you so much. And I am just so delighted to be with you. And um, so thanks for having me on your program. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. So you are very well known. Many of you have been writing books since the 70s. I believe your first book is Life After Life. And and you've That's written right. yeah, you've written many books since then. So you have been involved with this work for many, many years. <laughs> I was just I have, I have I was a little child when you were first starting in this oh, work. Oh great. <laughs> so please, please share with our listeners that may not be familiar with your work, you, you know, your journey and how you got involved with the afterlife work. Well, thank you for that. And I um I, in terms of my career, I wanted to be from the age of seven or eight. I had two aims I wanted to be, and that was that I wanted to be an astronomer. And when I was about seven or eight, I built my own first my first telescope, mm-hmm. and. At about that same age, too, I wanted to be a comedian. So both of those goals. And um, <clears throat> so I grew up in so far as I grew up. <laughs> uh, I mean, you talked about being a little child when I was writing my book, but I guess I'm still a little child, according to all my friends. But um, basically... Um, I went to the University of Virginia from Macon, Georgia, uh, where I had grown up mostly, um, to Charlottesville at the age of 18, fully intending to be an astronomy major, but 
I took a philosophy course and literally in reading the the first few pages of the book he assigned us was Plato's Republic. Mm-hmm. Now, that was the first few days of UVA, and I decided then and there I was going to be a philosophy major. Wow. And I never regretted it. Awesome. And never have heard anybody who ever regretted being a philosophy major. But at the end of that book of Plato's, and Plato was still my hero, and at the end of that book, he tells the story about a warrior named Ur who had been believed dead on the battlefield. And this was a historical event. It was a number of people at the times referred to it. And so this this warrior revived spontaneously on the on his funeral pyre and he told this experience in which he one uh, of left his body, went away from his body, and and through these entrance ways into another world, and he saw his life in review, and, and so on and so on, and so uh, I I was just blown away by that, not just by that story, but by Plato, and still am, and so and so I should explain to you that although later in life I think I, after I left for college and didn't come back for ages but my father then I understood joined a, pre- a church for a certain period of time later on but but then left in a huff about something but um you know and my childhood is is completely missing of any memories connected to religion and since I was from the deep south I I thank God every day that I wasn't exposed to religion. I really did. Uh-huh. I understand. <laughs> I yes. Understand. And so, and so, I remember distinctly the concept I had of life after death before I went to college and read Plato. Mm-hmm. And that was that I honestly can tell you, I didn't know that anybody took it seriously. I thought, because my only exposure to it was my dad subscribed to New Yorker magazine, and they had these cartoons from time to time of angels there in the pearly gates. And I thought, you know, to me it was just like I thought like a cartoon theme, and I I didn't know anybody took it seriously. So that was really startling to me. And And then that same semester, just a few weeks later, I read, Another book of Plato's called The Phaedo, which is, this is the book that changed my life. This book shaped my whole life, and I'm, I'm living it now. It, it's the it's the best thing ever written about life after death from the mm-hmm. point of view of a, uh, of a rational person, mm-hmm. and and it was actually it was the basis of the Christian theology of the afterlife. Many the fundamentalists, of course, would deny that, but the professors of religious studies who just study the facts of the case will tell you that the Christians, uh, the, the the Plato's Phaedo was the foundation of that. So, okay. um, so. I was so impressed by Plato, but I, at that time, I thought these stories was as just part of the landscape of the Greeks. I, I didn't think of it as being anything pertaining to uh, 
1962 as it was then or that was the year I was born <laughs> wow yes. oh yes. oh my goodness Caroline this is so well what a wonderful thing that I am able to sit here mm -hmm. um, 18 years further down the road than you are and mm -hmm. and I'm just so happy to be able to tell you of this time in my life it was such I am um, three years later Mm -hmm. 1965 I I was in the philosophy uh, uh, I, I, I I got to go to the to the graduate philosophy seminars because I was an undergraduate honors student which was not to pat me on the back but just to explain it was tutorial and I I just got to study philosophy all the time I didn't have to go to classes just once a week and I had to go report to my tutor one-on-one -on -one and read a paper I, and but it was just deliriously wonderful and one night in the philosophical topics class we were discussing the question of life after death and professor Marshall um, who was the you know the director or the, the professor mm -hmm. um, said that right there in Charlottesville at the medical college was Dr. George Ritchie, who was a professor of psychiatry, who had had such an experience. And I immediately got interested, and to make a long story short, Dr. Ritchie often talked to student groups. So pretty soon I heard him, and this number one, this man was the group, the finest human being I ever knew period this this just absolutely incredible man yes with with faults too i mean i'm not ideal but he was just absolutely the best and he was really halfway here and halfway there george was nobody who got to know him well could have denied that and so hearing him talk i was just so oh my god what i mean because he brought it alive and then to make a long story short I went on, I got my PhD in philosophy, get this, at the age of, let's see, 1969, of 24 years old. Awesome. Okay. Wow. And so immediately went teaching philosophy at East Carolina University. Okay. And in talking about Plato's Phaedo, heard from students there would say yes you know i came close to death or my grandmother did okay and so after a while i heard a number of these from students and then as word spread along the campus like oh this dr moody is, has talked about these cases that plato wrote about and that he's had a few cases and he studied and so word spread and colleagues like other faculty members so Raymond yeah me too and so and so then after three years of being deliriously happy teaching philosophy at this wonderful place yes. as it really was and still is actually yes. East Carolina University I just you know being 24 and finishing my PhD in philosophy and my whole life being dominated by curiosity or professional life at least mm -hmm. yes. just wanting to know things now I just I was too it was too soon to stop right. and and I wanted to to study the mind so I 
went to medical school and I studied and and then I became a psychiatrist and for a while a geriatric worked in geriatric psychiatry and then went into forensic psychiatry mm. dealing with mostly homicide but like killer who paranoid schizophrenic killers or mass mm. murderers or once in a while a serial killer those are usually not insanity cases mm -hmm. Mm. but um, all through this I, I by the time I went to medical school in 1972 I had a number of uh, cases of this that I had collected and I had really been researching the topic by then for 10 years mm -hmm. and so um, I had friends I went back to medical school in Augusta Georgia where my dad had gone to medical school okay. and um, so um, I had grown up with a number of the people who were ahead of me in medical school or who were some of them you know like even in the almost up to the professor level at that time because I'd gone the three the three years for the PhD plus another three for the teaching right. and so um, the word was spread in the faculty by the time I came in in September of 72 that this medical student coming in was uh, so to make a long story short by a couple of weeks eight of the professors had personally called me to say thank you for this research because a number of them had heard this from their patients and the rest had had it for themselves so wow. um, and I just like to tell that story because there's this this image out there of poor Dr. Moody who has suffered under the medical profession and thought he was a nun and you know that was just not true mm -hmm. and so that's the process I went through and not having a religious background the idea of life after death was very counterintuitive to me I even though all the even the hundreds of people I had talked with agreed in what they said they would all say that at this point where they the doctor would say they're dead they would hear that and then they would say that they would leave their physical bodies and they would go up and they would watch from a point of view up above mm -hmm. and uh, could hear that or not exactly here but they understood what the doctor or nurse was saying down below but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when they tried to respond and turn nobody could see them nobody could hear them Right. So pretty soon they began to um, feel that they realize that this is something to do with death and they say they go through a passageway of some sort, yes. a hallway or a tube or a tunnel right. and on the other side they emerge into an incredibly brilliant light full of joy and comfort and peace and complete love, love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And say that in that light, relatives or friends of theirs who have died are there to almost like a greeting committee to mm -hmm. say hello. Not you don't see them apparently in physical form. It's but there's a form, but it's I've heard like spiritual body, and and they seem in the prime of life, not mm. at any particular age. Right. And so then, as this proceeds, people say they undergo panoramic memory. Mm -hmm. They say every single thing they've ever done is displayed around them in a holographic panorama 
instantly. Mm. And no time passed. And in that review, they say that everything they've ever done appears in the review. Mm-hmm. But it repear, appears in just like photographed from the other point of view. Mm-hmm. It's like when you see yourself doing some action in this re- review, you are empathically embedded in the consciousness of the person with whom you interacted. So, if you see uh, if you see yourself doing a kind-hearted thing, then you feel the good feelings. If you see yourself doing a mean-spirited thing, then you feel the sad feelings. Yes. And all of this is experienced often in the presence of a being of sheer light and love and compassion who sort of guides people through it. Mm-hmm. And so they come back from this, whatever they had been believing or espousing before, that um, what this is all about is learning to love and that their their conviction is that um, there is indeed a life after death. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, what, what you're sharing is just resonating because it's so true that so many have come back from near what we call now near-death experiences. So many with that same, you know, same similar story of life review and a light and every, just everything. And I say that is so evidence of the oneness that I speak of, that when they yes. do life review, they're connect, they're feeling what that person felt that, you know, if they said That's something exactly kind right. or unkind, they're feeling exactly how their words and their action affected others as almost because there's, because there's that connection of oneness between us all. So that, yes, is, yes that is so, I mean, and it's so much evidence. I mean, your wonderful books and so many other books that have been written that, show there it should be now everybody um to me it should be a no-brainer meaning (laughs) (laughs) you know there of course there's life after death and yes our consciousness goes on and we are all one and connected to me it should be a no-brainer but i understand what you mean when you say that you were blessed not to be indoctrinated with the Christian, with, with religion, in the sense that it left you open. So, yes. That's right. So it's been a long process for me to come to accept, as I do now, to my continuing amazement and astonishment that as I gather this is real, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Let me... Mm-hmm explain why I'm you know the standard objection to this is um, which goes back to Plato's time and his contemporary Democritus who was the first person who just figured it out that there are atoms he was the first atomist Mm -hmm. and from that perspective 
he wrote about these experiences too, but he said, it's just the residual biological activity of the body, he says. Like, mm -hmm. even when the body appears dead, there's some biological activity in the atoms and so on. So, But that debate rages to this day, but I haven't participated in that argument since um, it was probably December of 72 or January of 73 mm -hmm. when my first year in medical school when I was approached by one of the medical professors a very wonderful woman who uh, described how when she was trying to resuscitate her own mother unsuccessfully Mm -hmm. she herself had this whole thing floating out of her body and looking down and seeing the light and seeing her mother's deceased relatives emerging from the light and mm -hmm. um, being in contact in spirit form as she said with her mother who was now out of her body and then the light closed off and my professor went back to her body. So mm -hmm. you see, that's nothing to do with oxygen deprivation. Right, <laughs> exactly. <So. laughs> yes. And I think they, and they call that a shared death experience when you're- That's right. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah, that's still, I mean, I just, how do you make an inference about this in the first place? But I will explain, Carolyn, the ones, <clears throat> the, the the kinds of things that have brought me to it. <clears throat> I could give you, <clears throat> um, I could talk about a dozen physicians I know very well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> By the way, as <clears throat> I'm not, I don't remember where you are, but <clears throat> where I am is, is uh, ragweed okay. <laughs> season, okay. goldenrod. <laughs> no problem. So that's, that's the sound that I make. No so, problem, no problem. I'm in, I'm in the Poconos, East Coast. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a little east of you in the Pocono Mountains. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, um, so, so, um, and what was I saying there? I'm so you, sorry that call. No, that's okay. You were sharing about the um, your first year in a medical school and uh, a professor. Yes, and my professor, and so. So obviously, you know, you have to look along a different line of explanation than oxygen deprivation to the brain. Exactly. And since that time, I've just hundreds and hundreds of cases, but the ones that have brought me around are ones that involve physicians. I mean, and I don't mean, you know, like a looking, right. giving physicians, oh, holy physicians, good. you know, it, what I mean is, that these are people that I know personally, they happen to be physicians, because that's a lot of the people I meet are obviously right. physicians, but these are people who have had experiences in connection with the near-death experience of the patient. And right. this is, yes, I, uh, perhaps you know, there's this wonderful um, graphic artist out west who was in a horrible car crash in which he lost a leg and in which his wife was killed instantly and I believe one of their children and yes oh yes he's been yeah. a, he's been a guest on my show yes you're oh goodness Jeff yes, Olson. Jeff, 
Jeff Olson. Olson, yes, 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 yes. yes. And, I am and, familiar, yes. Yes, and then, and then it turned out that the Dr. O'Driscoll, the trauma surgeon who saved his life, had had a corresponding experience during the attempt to save his life, which worked, in which the Dr. O'Driscoll and Gather had had a conversation with the Yes. With his patient's wife, who, who mm -hmm. at that time was dead. Right. And yes. and I could give you others that are just like this exactly. surgeon, uh, the surgeon in Italy who um, was doing an operation of a not a very serious nature, elective essentially. Right. On a man with no obvious health problems and good overall health, a young man, and the event to his horror and surprise that cardiac arrest he couldn't resuscitate the patient and just in his despair the door swung open of the operating room and a woman came in yelling and screaming it's like, it's just like my husband is not dead mm -hmm. he finally got to understood what she was saying right said, my husband is not dead i was out in the waiting room and my husband came to me and he said you think he's dead and I need to come in here and tell you that he's not dead and the surgeon just went on automatic and mm -hmm. uh, doesn't even remember starting the resuscitation again but he did and then you know the patient's heart started beating again and then the patient when he woke up he said yeah doc I was up there above my body looking at you down there and he said I'm could tell you thought I was dead, but I kept trying to say, I'm not dead, I'm not mm -hmm. dead. But you couldn't hear me, so I went out into the waiting area to try to f tell my wife to come in here and tell you I'm not dead. Now, wow. I just don't know what else to say. But even more importantly for me, mm -hmm. Caroline, than to, I mean, see, what I taught in philosophy was logic and philosophy of language and ancient Greek philosophy. Yes. And those things are very important for me. And right. it's reason, if you're going to resort to it at all, you've got to do it well. Yes. And, and so what I say is that there is a genuine, rational path to understanding this stuff. Mm -hmm. That you don't have to fool yourself. Many people just try to you know, figure out some flimsy argument to support what they already think they know. Exactly. But me, I want to know. So yes. to do that, you really have to be very careful about your reasoning process. Yes. And so I wouldn't want to persuade anybody else of this. Everybody's got to go there through their own process. I agree. But what really gives me the confidence is more on the logical side that we do now have a what we can do is we can actually, the question of life after death is so enormously difficult. But it is not difficult per se. What it is difficult is because of an incompleteness mm -hmm. in the way that we think in the West. Like the whole reasoning process as it's set up. And not to condemn it in one way, because listen, logic may sound abstract, but everybody uses it in everyday life, whether they like it or not. Mm -hmm. And and so therefore, it's good to learn how to do it well. And so um, the 
there is an entirely new way Mm -hmm. to think about this question of life after death. Since the question is so hard to answer by ordinary logic and with the mind we have, it is perfectly possible to actually alter our minds in effect to to open up new mental faculties that we have mm-hmm. and to find new principles of logic for things. And it's already done. So mm-hmm. that, and I'm not going to try to bore people with that because that's a matter of logic, but I'm just saying that's my background in it, that there's a whole new way of looking at this, which is opening up entirely new, rigorous ways to investigate this. So I'm ex- excited. Yes, yes, and when you, when you, you speak of logic, I, I speak of logic and I say, let's keep it simple on this show all the time. I mean, it, like I just said, there's, I mean, there's countless, countless of near-death experiences that have been published and shared, and, and, and especially now in this age of the internet, where you can actually yeah. access more and more and share more and more. And these, and when you think about it, these are just the ones that have been shared because there are people that might be, because of their upbringing, feel like they can't share it. So they, we can't you know, imagine all the people that have had these experiences that have not shared them for fear of being, yeah. yeah, for fear of being yeah. called crazy or something. So logically, it's like to me, Someone looking at the night sky and, and where you see all these beautiful stars and planets and we know there's there's endless number of stars and planets and, and to say, okay, I only think there's life or intelligent life on my planet, even though there's billions of other planets. To me, that's not yeah. logic. You know, that's not Caroline, logic. Caroline, <laughs> I am so in agreement with you. Because yeah. like I said, I started out all of this as a astronomy and my telescope and realized yeah. those things. And right. recently, Caroline, now, now this is another one that is really going to just... Um, this is amazing, but in the last three years or so, I read in one of my science journals, it's like that they had made the most accurate count ever of the number of stars in the known universe, okay? And the figure, if I got all the superscripts unraveled right, okay, was about 150 billion trillion stars. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's like a trillion of the people who won the lot, the guy who won the lottery yesterday, right? Oh, I didn't one, even know. Yeah, somebody did. Somebody won, won a billion won. dollars there uh, in yeah, South I Carolina. I bought, I bought tickets, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, don't, I don't watch the news or anything, so I didn't even know someone had won. Oh. Okay. Well, now, now imagine a trillion of those, all right? So there's a billion trillion mm. planets. Oh, not planets, but stars in the known universe. Now, Mm -hmm. the latest information from the Kepler telescope suggests that all of, essentially all of those stars have planets. Mm -hmm. But we don't know how many planets the average star has. So let's just be very conservative and say that since the sun has eight, that the sun is probably in the middle of the bell curve in terms of another of planets. Just one. So let's be conservative and say, instead of 
eight that the average solar system ha or star system has only four. Okay. So that still adds up to 600 billion trillion planets. And, and let's say that it's the Earth. We don't know whether Earth-like planets are really the best place for life, but let's just assume they are for a moment. Well, by the latest findings from the Kepler, Kepler about one out of a thousand of them are Earth-like, and that means that in the known universe, there are roughly on the order of a billion trillion Earths. Mm. Now, you and I have both got to agree, Caroline, yes. and hand it to God mm -hmm. that out of all of that vastness, he gets so concerned about two gay guys living together down the street. <laughs> and you know what I mean? It's like yeah. I'm writing a book called, uh, yeah. it's called God is Bigger Than the Bible. Mm. And it's my reflections on God that come from the near-death experiences. Right. And uh, yeah. I think that I talk to God every day. He's never said a word to me about religion. Mm. I figure he doesn't require us to join a religion. I agree. But I talk to him all the time. And I'm yes. Well, yeah. I, I, I also, and I say, I, for me, my truth is, and I, I'm just like you, I want people to come to their own truth by going within. Yeah. And my truth is that we are all one with God. God is not oh, outside yeah. of us. He is oh, right absolutely. in absolutely. of us. And, and he, no, he, God has no religion. That's why I have no religion because Thank God, God it, if I would give God a religion, I would say it's unconditional love. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and also I like what Ellie Diesel said. Mm -hmm. God made man because he loves stories. Mm -hmm. I think God is just watching all these amazing lives we're living, mm -hmm. living how they're, they're weaving into each other. And well, because I think God knows that it's all going to come out all right. At that. Right, right. Well, I'll take it a step further for me. Not that he's watching. He's actually living. We are, I, we are holographic. I think of us as holographic cells of God. Holographic. Yeah, exactly. We are exactly. all, we are all God. So we are, we are each, God is experiencing life through each of us. Not just That's watching, exactly what I, but I, experiencing. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And it's like Meister Eckhart said that. Mm -hmm. He said, the eyes with which I see God are the same eyes with which God sees me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Like Rumi's quote, you are not a, a drop in the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. And a so, drop. Yes. So each of us is all of God in a yeah, drop. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like a yes. hologram. Yes, hologram. Yeah. Holographic, oh. multidimensional light beings are what we are at our core, which is love. Just unconditional. And I, I say the word unconditional love because the like fundamentalist religious people say love, but they put these conditions on there. Like, I'm like, yeah. no, no, no. When I always ask a person that's a fundamentalist, what does unconditional mean? Yeah. And, um, Caroline. Uh, yes. Caroline. Yes. Caroline.
I have the most wonderful Native American daughter mm. named Carol Ann. Oh, okay. and yeah, and she came to me in the most wonderful way. I had two sons who are now grown, and I mm. always wanted a daughter. And at that time, it was probably not good for my wife to try to have another child because of difficulties and the pregnancies. And so right. I was just so happy with my sons and sitting out in a swing one night in, I think, eight, 1981, probably. Mm -hmm. Just a little daydream went through my head of how nice it would be to <clears throat> adopt a Native American daughter. But oh. I didn't even send it up as a prayer. It was just a fantasy, really, like a daydream. Yes. Never put any more effort into it. Mm -hmm. Then time passed. And um, in 1994, I was out in, or five, I was out in New Mexico. And doing a lecture, but I was sitting in the audience waiting for the previous speaker to finish. So before I went up to my lecture and sitting next to me on my right was a obviously Native American woman. Mm -hmm. And you know, Native Americans, it's a different culture. They don't like eye contact and they're speaking in public may be very particularly difficult for them. And so this, the previous speaker was finished and the question period came. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's one of these places where they had the microphone was in the aisle in the middle, right? So to ask your question, you had to go up and stand by the microphone. And you can imagine, I mean, to me, that's hard. Mm -hmm. And because I come from a sort of soft-spoken culture too. So, but anyway, it's just as my wife sitting on my left, sort of, you know, pointed and he punched me and said, um, just gather and help this woman around and right. let her ask her question. And I stood there with her. And so then that was, say, 95, somewhere in there. Well, then, uh, then time went and my wife and I, um, we uh, wanted to adopt children and we were, we found a wonderful adoptive situation down in. Kerrville, Texas, and in 1998, we adopted Carter and mm -hmm. our wonderful son, who's now 20, and that just, oh my God, thank you every day. I thank God for Carter. And then about uh, two years later, I was just in my home one day, and the phone rang, picked it up, and it was this wonderful woman. Then And how are you? Just the cheerful voice, this wonderful black big lady. Yes. And just sort of catching up. And she said, well, how are you? What are you doing? And I said, oh, we're doing great. We just, just a couple of years ago, we adopted a baby. And she said, mm -hmm. oh, I wish so much I had known you were looking. Oh. And uh -huh. so... Um, to make a long story short, along came Carol Ann, just oh. yeah, six months later or whatever. And again, same deal. Adopted her at birth. And, oh, amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. And so, how, old, how old is she now? She is now 17. And you oh. can imagine some of the paradoxes that come from um, Caucasian person. Yes. Raising a Native American daughter, I, 
for example, she's very bright. She loves to read, and she lear learned how to read very early before she even went to school. Mm -hmm. So they say that the part of your mind that uh, deals with reading is uh, the same part of your mind that deals with tracking little animals through the brush. Mm. <laughs> and she okay. has a terrific ability to do that. I mean, she is a born gatherer. Mm. She pushed her in the stroller every day till she was about three, at which point she broke the restraints and started <laughs> walking with me every day, carrying what she calls her nature bag, and okay. collecting birds in the nest, uh, you know, little animals. And so with all this reading, at about the age of six, she started reading all these books on Pocahontas. Mm. And then she looked at me and my wife one day and said, directly at us and she said were your people English <laughs> <laughs> that's cute <laughs> yeah but then and then yeah. after we had to acknowledge yes well yes but not only that but Cheryl both sides of her family came from that initial raiding party isn't that mm. I mean they go way back in Virginia so it's a long right. long so, you know, you think that was that on top of that. But right. but then after we made these explanations, she looked at us again and she said, your people hurt my people. Mm. Yeah. Yes. But we've, made, we've had made peace and we're yeah, just, of course. but yeah. she is that. But still, if she yes. gets angry at us, she says, oh, I'm just going to go back and live on my reservation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, no, she, so I'm sure she is. Nothing but love for mommy and daddy, <laughs> because it's um, I well a couple of things when you shared about how you um, initially had the thought of adopting an, a Native American daughter, and that was and then you didn't you you just kind of sent that thought off into the universe, not necessarily a prayer like you said. It was just our thoughts because. Our thoughts, that's the other thing a lot of people don't understand, that our thoughts are truly things in the sense that our thoughts do create because it's all they one, do. one and, consciousness. And you know, yes. Caroline, mm -hmm. I would like to know whether you think that that is age-related because mm -hmm. I think that that is something that comes naturally with age, that mm -hmm. insight. Because I see, I think it's something you can see in looking back. Mm. It's so true. It's like things you just put out there early in your life as thoughts. Right. Without your having any sense whatsoever of doing anything to cause them or bringing them about. Right. They just spring up naturally out of the ether. Yes. And in, in a very eerie way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Very unexpected. Yes. Well, I yeah. well now they call now they're calling that law of attraction. And before it was the power. I remember when I first learned of it. I was in my teens, and I read a book. Um, well, I can't think of the author. It's a Think and Grow Rich. I don't know why I can't think of the author. But that was the first time I read that our thoughts actually affect 
our reality. And I was only 15 at the time, and I, I didn't think much of it. And then um, at that time, I, but I found it very interesting. And then as years went on, you hear more about the law of attraction, which is the same thing, power of positive thinking, law of attraction, same thing. Um, but I do, I do believe, I believe that, I believe we're all one spirit, there's one consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. We're all a part yeah. of that one consciousness. Yeah. And, and you know you thoughts. were saying, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, you said you read Think and Go Rich, and then, mm -hmm. then you you know, you know couldn't remember the name of the author, but I was thinking, uh, I knew this man who, he read the Think and Grow, Grow Rich, and he remembered the name of the author. Mm -hmm. And uh, he read another book. He 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 read Think and Grow Rich, and but then right after that, he read another book by another man that told him how to memorize anything. Mm -hmm. So he remembered the name of the author okay. of Think and Grow Rich. So that's how he grew rich. Uh -huh. <laughs> it is. Somebody asked him on the talk yes. show. Uh -huh. What is the name of the author of Thinking Grew Rich? Rich. He <laughs> thought about it and he instantly. And it's a very famous author. I don't know why. Just you know how you get those mental blocks. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just naked. <laughs> I, I, I used to be a comedian. Comedian. That's right. Now you want yes, the astrology and comedian from the time you were seven. <laughs> I was, and I was, I was for a while. I was a sort of semi-professional comedian. I mean, at least in the sense that. Right. People invited me to go places and they paid me to do it. So I yes. guess that's sort of yes. semi-professional. I was yes. doing a psychiatry residency at the yes. same time. Yes. Well, that, that's, I mean, honestly, you followed your passion from the time you were young without even, and I think I've kind of done the same thing. I mean, I teach piano, um, doing this show was my passion. I just do what I love to do. And, and that's me what you've too. been doing. Yes. Caroline, yes. and I can't do otherwise. I mean, I'm sorry. I guess it could be laziness. I don't feel lazy, but I mean, I work all the time, so it can't yes. be laziness. <laughs> right. But I cannot do anything that I, it, because there's so many fascinating real things to do, like exactly. real amazing things. Exactly. How can you spend time on things you don't want to do? I, and it's such a selfish thing. No, it's For me, not. It is. <laughs> no, actually, no. I speak about that a lot on this show. It's, it's honestly, it's why we, it's why you're here. You're here to follow your passion and to do the things you love. And I try to share that message with everyone because there's so many people out here doing what they don't love or don't want to do just quote unquote to make a dollar but that's not why we that's not why we're here in this environment no and i tell you i mean it can get you into trouble that kind of attitude though i mean like when all that money from life after life started coming in mm -hmm. well i bought me two two railroad tank cars uh, tank cars full of elderberry wine mm -hmm. and i bought of 1,000 barrels of straight pants and four gross of silk underwear. And I had some <laughs> left over, so I just spent that foolishly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, you were young. <laughs> yeah. You were young yeah. at the time. You were young, yeah. but it's all good. It's all good. It's all learning experience. It's here to grow. But the, 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 the point is you instinctively followed your heart. 
from, you know, from the time you were very young. And I also did the same, just instinctively. I could not stay doing something that did not feed my soul for a long period of time. I might do it for a little amount of time, but I, I it's like my, from within, my spirit said, no, I, you know, I had to follow what my heart was saying. And I always share that message on this program to follow your heart. And a lot of times people are afraid because they think it won't support them, but that's what's going to support yeah. your soul. Well, yeah, but you know something that money thing is I've never been good at it. And what I have, you know, I hear this from people who know about finance all the time, but somebody like me mm -hmm. who's so focused on creativity, well, what happens is that the manager, right, comes along who's going to handle your money for you. So I've been down that route, but, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will relate to it. Right. But, you know, at the same time, I just, you know, it is, I mean, I... I love my money, money in the sense of the Uncle Scrooge money band. You're being 12 years younger or 18 years younger than me. You won't remember, but Uncle Scrooge and Don, Donald Duck's uncle had this money band. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want, a money band full of money. Mm -hmm. But but the mentality needed to get that, I just I don't have that mentality. Right. And thank God in a way because I, I like what I do. I don't know if I could do it if I could had to think about money. Right. I mean, I missed that day in school where the change <laughs> stuff. I, I never well, quite got up to that. I look at money as a tool. Like, I mean, I have visions, you know, of, of my mission of Awake, Awake to Oneness Radio. I also started a nonprofit foundation in my son's memory. Kyle is my son's name. And the name of the foundation is the Kyle Foundation. But I spell Kyle. I spell Kyle. It's an acronym. I use Kyle as an acronym. Um, uh -huh. I spell it in capital letters. And Kyle stands for Keep Your Light Expanding. So, oh, how wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so my vision, so for me, money, like I like I said, I played that uh, Mega Millions and Powerball yesterday. But, well, Powerball comes out tonight, so I might still have a chance for that. Because for me, money is a tool to, yeah. to, to share yeah. the vision. Um, because the bottom line to my vision is world peace. And it, it's to me, oh, it wonderful. is doable. I mean, people will say, yeah. you know, but it is, it's, it's, as you awaken, as one person awakens, one, each person affects, we ripple out, we each affect yeah. every, the, we each affect all of humanity, and we affect the universe. So as one person awakens, it, it's that much more that we will come to the day where we know that we are one and that there will be world peace, there will be love. And at that time, when, when, those, when that day comes about, there won't be a need for money, you know, money, money, you know, everyone will be living in prosperity, everyone will be living in love and peace and harmony. And, in, and when that day comes about, you don't need money. <laughs> yeah, well, I yes. tell you, Carol, line. I'm, I like I said, it's still a hard thing for me to think about that side of life. But I, mm -hmm. similarly to you, though, I, I have a project that I'm really uh, enthusiastic now, and that is at age seventy-four. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I still love to teach, and that that it's getting harder and harder with the airlines at this age for mm-hmm. to travel. I mean, it's just and and my kids now are close close to growing up, and I want to spend time with them, and so right. and so. My friend Lisa Smart and I have started an online, I call it a learning portal. And that is we're we're having um, webinars and I'm going to be talking to some of the really great people who have had these phenomenal near-death experiences like Jeffrey Olson. And uh, our first one will be... um, uh, Dr. Evan Alexander, my friend yes. at Harvard. Yes, yes, yes. I've met, I've met him, and he, he's yeah. been a guest on my show, and I've met him in person, yes. Matter of fact, oh, wow. let me share this with you. Um, my yeah. son went through, I almost went through, my son almost died twice. Oh. <laughs> of course, he only actually died once, but um, he had a near-death experience. When I say he, had, he doesn't have a recollection of it, but he almost died in um, December of 2011. He actually transitioned in um, July of 2014, so two and a half years passed between the incidences. But in December of 2011, and when my son was on life support and I tried to take my own life because doctors told me he wasn't going to live. But I was yeah. re- I was reading Dr. Eben Ab- Alexander's book, uh, Proof of Heaven, oh. at that time. And I got to meet Dr. Uh, Eben Alexander oh, right. during the time my son was in the hospital in 2014. Um, he wasn't on life support when I got to meet him, but he was speaking. Dr. Eben was, uh, Alexander was speaking nearby the hospital in Philadelphia. He was speaking in Jersey. So I went to the um, his speaking engagement just to meet him and have him sign my book. But he's also oh, been, he's been a guest on my show as well. Yes. So yes, please, please share. So you- so you know the excitement of this, and I'm, yes. I'm just so excited because to me, this is what I've daydreamed about for at least two decades of, because I love teaching and to be yes. able to do it through the internet. And so yes. what Lisa and I are doing and the organization we've started is mm-hmm. um, www.theuniversityofheaven.com. Uh, awesome. That is www.theuniversityofheaven.com and I'm hoping that people will look go there and take a look because on October 30th we're giving our first webinar it's free just every we just want people to watch in and I'm going to talk about um, the process I went through into my conviction or acceptance as it now is that there's an afterlife and also an opportunity to introduce our our, our guests who will be coming on and and so um i'm just really excited about this and i hope and and you know it's like we realizing that a lot of our people who are uh, of our kinds of mentality um right. Uh, you know, are not really very good at the money side of life either. <laughs> Lisa and I have decided to to make the cost of our individual programs very minimal. Yes. So that we're we're hoping that we can 
have some money in turn for our children yes. uh, for yes. the uh, yes. through by having a lot of folks but but mm -hmm. having a lot of folks also because as you know Caroline this is just such fascinating stuff and oh, yes. very important and getting more important yes. as the world grows steadily more incomprehensible Yes, this is what the work you're doing, and and Lisa, the the that is such a wonderful idea because when you when you first mentioned that you don't travel the way you used to and you want to teach, my thoughts was the internet teach with online classes on the internet, which is great, and even like I I'm. Um, one of the organizations I am very active in is Helping Parents Heal. That's how I met oh. Jeffrey. I met Jeffrey Olson in, in person at the first Helping Parents Heal conference. Um, oh. And so uh, now I'm an affiliate. Caroline, don't you think that that experience with, have you talked to Dr. O'Driscoll? No, that's a name I'm not familiar with. I've got to write Dr. that down. O'Driscoll. Dr. O'Driscoll is the trauma surgeon who saved Jeffrey's life. Oh, and, okay. And Dr. O'Driscoll had his own experience while he was doing the surgery on on Jeffrey. Jeffrey, in which yes. He talked, in which he talked to Jeffrey's dead wife. Mm, yes. Okay. So you I, see, this is just yes. absolutely beyond, I mean, what else can you say now except Yes. That? yes. And, and, and this this is very true. I've had many doctors on this program. I've had Dr. Larry Dossey. I've had a doctor that wrote um, a book, a physician. He wrote physicians. The title of the book is Physicians Untold Stories. And it was this um, 20. Oh, yes. I've yes. seen that one. Yeah. Yes. 26 physicians that are sharing these experiences that all doctors are having with their patients, near-death yes. patients or patients that have transitioned. And I like to use the word transition personally because there is no death. I like your, yeah. the title of your book, Life After Life, because that's yeah. all there is, is eternal life. And so I love that. I love that. So, and, and you also are the founder of the Life After Life Institute, which is also a nonprofit organization that help people understand this, this work that we do go on, that your loved ones are not gone and your loved ones are still trying to reach you if, you, if you're open. Yeah. If we're open to hearing them, we can hear them. Yes, like I shared with you that I have my son's voice on tape from two yeah. years ago, and he's been in spirit for four years. So I know. That's why I, I, I'm, I, I have so much joy in my heart, because I know my son's not gone. I know he's right here with me. He told me he's my co-host. So anytime, oh, wow. anytime I'm doing a show, he's right here with us. So... Um, this is such, it's such an amazing, and it's wonderful. Please share again that website, and I will have the link to that website in this video. Thank share you that so website much, Caroline. Where people can uh, the, come. Go ahead. Yeah, it is um, www.theuniversityofheaven.com. And that title the university of heaven just popped into my mind and i thought I love it was appropriate and i love it i it's love kinda it kind of like uh, it's got a level of audacity and humor to it too mm -hmm. but, but mm -hmm. what we think is you know there's just so many 
there needs to be forum where people can have a serious discussion of this. There's so many people now, Caroline, who are getting into that mm-hmm. midlife and early elderlyhood stage right. who are really beginning just by the stage of life. You begin to wake up to the significance of yes. thoughts about the afterlife and so on. Yes. And so it's important for there to be reliable information for people. This is so true. This is so true. And your your main website um, where people can find you and follow your work and look up all the wonderful books that you have written. What the your website is? Yeah, that is the same. It's uh, okay. www.theuniversityofheaven.com. Okay. Yes, I'm using that one now for all my stuff because okay. it's uh, amazing. It's, you know, it's just like it's. Um, one stop. I'm all into my teaching now. So. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, this has been so wonderful. It's so. It I'm, has been, Caroline. I am so thankful that you have been my guest for this past hour. And I can't believe an hour has already gone by. I know at time. And listen, wait, in 18 years, remember this. But yes. you're going to be amazed when you're 74. I mean, it's just time is, you know, that phrase, um, it's like an old saying, children are the thief of time. Mm. And my, I realized the other day what that means. And what it means is that at this age, you think, I can't believe my little children. I, I just, it's like yesterday. I was holding them into my arms, freshly born. Right. And now they're grown. And it's just, it's yes. the most amazing thing. Yes, I have a grandson who's eight now. I can't, it was like he was just born yesterday. How can he be yep. eight years old already? You know? I know. It's just <laughs> yes. nice. Yes. And it's going to get more pronounced. Yes. No yes. wonder, see, Immanuel Kant was trying to figure out time. And he said, well, yeah, there is time, but it's all inside of us. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's part of our functioning. It's not something out there. Yes. It's just the, it's the way that, enables us to have experience but that it's not real exactly other than outside of us and that's so true well einstein time is merely an illusion but albeit a very persistent one this is yes exactly this is so true there is no time in spirit we just you we use time as a tool like money money is a tool time is a tool and that's only in this reality and it is all within it within each of us this is so wonderful well thank you so much dr moody i appreciate it and i will definitely be you say the the first web uh webinar is going to be the the first webinar is on october 30th and i i will be talking about the process i went through that has convinced me to my surprise that there is an afterlife and and getting acquainted with everybody so that'll be awesome Very good. Very good. So I will definitely be sharing that in this video that will be airing. Actually, this video will air after that, but I'll be promoting this video before that. So I will be sharing that date in the the promotional. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much being my guest. And I'm so glad we were able to connect by phone. This is actually the first time I've done a, a phone 
uh, interview with our phone. I, I don't like the word right. interview, phone conversation. I like the word <laughs> by phone and video at the same time. Thank you so much. I Thank you so much. Being with my guests. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.